Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And tonight we've got an actual guest on this week. Uh, we're Woo-hoo! super excited about this because it's actually something Eric and I have talked about extensively. And uh, now we've gotten guest who's done a lot of research on this as well. Uh, his name's Joseph Selby. Uh, Joseph enjoys making the complex and obscure simple and clear. He is the author of Breakthrough, The Limits of the Brain, How Neuroscience Supports Spiritual Experience, The Physics of God, A Unification of Science and Religion, and The Yugas, A Factual Look at India's Tradition of Cyclical History. He is known for creating bridges of understanding between the modern evidence-based discoveries of science and the timeless experience-based discoveries of the mystics. A dedicated Kriya Yoga meditator for nearly 50 years, he has taught yoga meditation and universal experiment, experiential spirituality, that was very hard to say, throughout the U.S. and Europe. In 1975, Joseph became a founding member of Ananda, a spiritual movement inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda, author of Autobiography of a Yogi. Uh, We are going to be talking about his book the physics of God today. And uh, yeah, we're just going to go straight to the line with Joseph Selby. Joseph Selby, welcome to Paratruth Radio. Thanks for having me. So we've got you on to talk about the book, The Physics of God, and it was a very intriguing read. But first, uh, like we asked all of our guests, what inspired you to write this book? Well, a host of things, Um, but in broad strokes, I was very much a science-oriented person growing up. I had a science-oriented family and went to college thoroughly expecting that I was going to come out of it with a science degree. I was interested in microbiology. And then about midway through college, I had a profound hallucinogenic experience. Uh, It wasn't my only hallucinogenic experience, but it was particularly meaningful. Um, I felt myself to be essentially transformed into a better person, that I had uh, greater awareness of others. I had a clearer mind. I was intuitive. I was really happy. It was a it was a wonderful experience, and I really liked that person a lot. <laughs> but there was really nothing in science that I knew at that time 
that gave me any answers to how I could have had that experience. So I had already been dabbling in meditation, and this just got me in deeper and deeper, uh, not only into meditation, but into the kind of universal spiritual teachings that surrounded it. And that really became my life. You know, I've been meditating for 50 years. I've been living in a spiritual community for over 45 years and have been devoting myself to, you know, those practices and those perspectives on living. But I never left the science part of me behind. I always was fascinated by science and particularly physics and its kind of picture of the the structure of reality. But then I found there were others, including the teachings that I came to, uh, written by Paramahansa Yogananda, that showed how the, you know, the really deep teachings of science had a great parallel, great congruence with the deep teachings of spirituality. And so for, I don't know, 40 years, I was wanting to write the book. And, you know, much, much was happening in my life. I had four kids, I started a business. And so I didn't get to it and get it published until relatively recently. But it was something that I uh, was deeply interested in. And then it finally, uh, with with semi-retirement, came the opportunity to to write it. Okay. Now, I mean, science. We, we, Justin and I have actually talked about this a lot over the last year, especially is how uh, early on uh, ancient times and whatnot, science and religion almost seemed to kind of walk hand in hand. Uh, you couldn't talk about one without the other. Uh, at what point do you think science and religion really went their separate ways, and why do you think people are so adamant on keeping it that way? Because I know. You, as you just said, and Justin and I are always saying that religion and science should remarry because that's when you get the full picture. Because right now I feel like if you're choosing one side or the other, you're not looking at it something holy, you know? Well, in the the history of science and religion, and, and I'll just say for discussion purposes that science kind of got its beginnings in the 1700s and then into the 1800s. And for that first 200 years from 1700 to 1900, um, scientists described their activities as exploring God's creation. And that it was definitely God's creation. And they were just finding God's laws and God's purpose in that science. And so science and religion were able to, you know, coexist quite easily because most of those physicists and scientists were themselves uh, religious in some way or another. But around 1900, the tide sort of turned and it turned, I think, because those scientists who were deeply interested in the fundamental reality that science could show you, to their minds, they couldn't find God in it anywhere. And 
everything seemed to work in a uh, law-like, lawful way that only involved matter and energy, that every phenomenon that they could study found an answer in matter and energy. And so more and more scientists began to seriously question whether there was God, whether there needed to be God, whether the yet unanswered questions about where did the universe come from, where did life come from, where did intelligence come from, they began to be more and more convinced that those rules of matter and energy would eventually answer all of those. And that in a way, God just became unnecessary in terms of their view of reality. So then, I don't know, I would say in the 20s, 30s, 40s, there was a deep shift where uh, people who believed that there could be a God began to be looked down on by the scientific community, right? That they not only saw how for their own understanding that matter and energy explained everything mm. and or would eventually explain everything. And anybody who didn't think that was a little, you know, maybe um, stupid or naive or gullible. And that belief system began to kind of take on a, uh, a religious meaning all of its own. You know, science became religion somewhere in the early 20th century. And it still is today, you know, the predominant worldview. If you want to think mm -hmm. of religion as a, as a worldview, science is that predominant worldview even today. And it's very difficult for anybody who uh, works as a scientist to be able to conjecture about how consciousness or uh, intelligence or life could have origins beyond matter and energy. You know, they're, they're kind of swatted down in a hurry by uh, those, you know, most influential within the world of, of uh, science and physics. So it kind of flipped from science supporting religion to science not supporting religion at all sometime mm -hmm. in the 20th century. But their promise that matter and energy would eventually be able to explain the big three unanswered questions, that's why, the way I think of them, the big three unanswered questions is, where did the universe come from? Where did consciousness come from? And where did life come from? There are still no answers to those questions mm -hmm. that are anything more than conjecture. And so I think their, their promise that science can explain everything with just matter and energy is getting thinner. And Plus, mm -hmm. you have a broadening of awareness within Americans, but throughout the world, of other religious philosophies, particularly those coming from India um, and China, the, the East in general, that 
relate to God not as an anthropomorphic God, which is what um, many Christians and uh, Jews and, and Muslims think that God is is some sort of being, you know, that that is a much more powerful but still individual being that created everything and created us. In the East, God is not only not anthropomorphic, but God is an infinite spirit. And we are a part of that spirit, that, that our nature is God's nature and God's nature is our nature. And once uh, Americans, Western civilization began to embrace and understand and appreciate this very different way of looking at God, it also started to open up the possibilities for understanding how physics, modern physics, and this more expansive view of God can actually be compatible rather than um, uh, at, at loggerheads with each other. Hmm. Well, now, I want to take a step back. You had mentioned how science has kind of become a religion uh, in a way. And so one thing that really stood out to me at the very beginning of your book is this concept of scientific materialism. Now, for years, Justin and I had argued that science actually is a religion, even if scientists claim otherwise, because, you know, the scientist wants to say, yeah, you know, we're, we have a religion. Uh, it goes against their whole purpose. But for our listeners, can you just define what scientific materialism is and how it relates to religion? Well, scientific materialism is a concept that's been around for a long time, actually. And I think it's somewhat ironic that it is um, what are known as scientific philosophers who coined the phrase. And the scientific philosophers basically noticed that there was a school of thought within science that says matter and energy are the only realities. And the interactions between matter and energy uh, explain every phenomenon or will explain every phenomenon. And so this is a, a defined point of view, um, a defined philosophy. And you will find, if you read articles by scientists who are scientific materialists, that this underlying assumption is always there, that there really isn't anything other than that. And it's such a uh, accepted assumption among scientists that it has become a belief system. It's a you know hard and fast belief system that there is nothing more than matter and energy. And it pervades scientific journals, it pervades research. Uh, you see it in particular when prominent scientists or even junior scientists have the temerity to suggest that consciousness could be uh, more subtle, that consciousness could exist beyond the brain. I mean, it the the attack is fierce, and it's very much, uh, and and it was literally put in these terms by, and I don't have his name. I wish I did, but he was the senior editor of one of the highest scientific journals in the world, 
accused a scientist who suggested that consciousness could exist, you know, beyond matter and energy, accused him of being a heretic. Now, that has got to be richly ironic, right? Mm -hmm. It suggests heresy in religious terms is that you're preaching outside of the uh, accepted dogmas of that particular religion. So to accuse a scientist who, uh, you know, all scientists are supposed to be neutral uh, observers of the facts who then make their conclusions based on facts and not on anything other than facts. So mm. to to shoot down somebody uh, and hard by accusing them of being a heretic to, to science just indicates how much it is a personal belief and how much it matters to um, those who really believe in that system that they would that he would attack others. So it has the trappings of religion. You know, it's got this key central belief that you can't question. Uh, it has a sort of high priesthood of people who uh, control the scientific journals. And it has uh, control over funding, which is the lifeblood of scientific research. To the extent where, you know, if you want to be a scientist, you want to have a career as a scientist, you just don't bring up consciousness. You don't bring up God. You don't bring up any possibility of it, or you'll be excommunicated. Mm -hmm. Now, something that's interesting that you've brought up and you, you mentioned several times in the book of science uh, basically being matter and energy Something that I've always been, I was brought up in Christianity. Uh, I, I still believe some of those core beliefs to an extent, but I have studied, like you're saying, Buddhism um, and a lot of the Eastern philosophies and, and religions. But that to me right there explains God in and of itself, matter and energy. If you think of it from a Christian standpoint, Jesus and God. If you think of it as from a Eastern standpoint, you know, God, quote unquote, God in their beliefs are the one and the same as we are. So that to me right there explains that there is a God, however you define it. So I don't, I'm not really sure how science could say they don't have proof. <laughs> that no one has proof, you mean? Right. Um, well, they just don't like the idea. <laughs> I think it's, you know, they're people, right? They're just people. Uh, we don't want to elevate all scientists to, you know, the, the stature of Einsteinian genius. They're just people like we are who are looking at discoveries and facts and experimentation and drawing their own conclusions and making their own interpretations. But just like people, they have biases. And I think right now there's this huge bias against uh, there being any possibility that there is God, that there is some uh, higher consciousness, higher power, uh, anything beyond just the intellect that we experience as 
uh, people living today is that the highest level of expression that those scientists can embrace and accept. So coming back to, the, to, your, to your point, I think a lot of what you can do with scientific discovery is a matter of interpretation that what I tried to do very carefully in my book, The Physics of God, is I didn't want to bring in any discovery that was controversial. But I wanted to make it clear that those discoveries admitted of reasonable other interpretations than the ones that insisted it means there is only matter and energy. So well, I started in my second chapter, third chapter, I forget which, by sharing with people the double slit experiment and with the mind-boggling results of some double slit experiences or experiments that indicate matter doesn't behave like matter unless it's observed by an intelligent observer. And this experiment has been around since the 1920s. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's nothing radically new. It's been done over and over and over again with the same results, which is that if you leave uh, an experiment running on its own, unobserved, but yet you have a, uh, a way of, of, of recording what that, how that experiment is running, you will find that it behaves as if whatever is being observed is behaving like energy, behaving like waves. But as soon as it is observed or measured, it starts to behave like matter. Now, I love to walk people all the way through that experiment because the words I just used usually just kind of go right over your head, right? Like, oh, okay, okay. whatever you're saying, dude, you know. Um, but when you actually walk step by step through the experiment, you really have to scratch your head at the end. That how could it be? The only difference in the two ways in which that experiment is set up are that it was measured. And yet, what had behaved like a wave starts to behave like matter. Mm. And this has never been disproved. This has never been disproved. You will read articles by scientists who are scientific materialists who kind of brush it aside. And they brush it aside with the attitude that this is just some strange artifact of the experimental process and one day we will understand why it appears to be that we need an intelligent observer to make matter behave like matter. But in fact, nothing has ever been discovered. A hundred years later, they are still refining this experiment. So that's just one example of an experiment that has concrete evidence but can be interpreted in different ways. Now I choose, as many before me have chosen, to see that there's a role of consciousness. That consciousness exists 
as a as unyet unmeasured reality that influences the way matter and energy behave. And that that is a direction that science could take is to keep exploring what that uh, material could be, what that reality could be. But they don't because it doesn't fit the belief system that the only thing that exists is matter and energy. Mm. So they just don't go there, as the old saying is, right? That they just leave it be. Uh, but it keeps rearing its head. It's interesting to me to see how often and how many generations of scientists have had this discussion of what does it actually mean? Mm-hmm. And then they trot out all the old arguments about what it could be and what it couldn't be. And then they're just left um, agreeing to disagree. You know, there are um, at least a dozen interpretations of what quantum physics indicates the nature of reality is, right? Quantum physics has been around, you know, from that time, 1920s, 1930s, when it really began making all these discoveries of what has been lumped together subsequently as quantum weirdness, you know, like things like entanglement and um, and the observer paradox. And so this debate comes up over and over, and it has split into these dozen or more interpretations of what all that quantum weirdness actually tells us about reality. And about two-thirds of them are scientific materialist, but a third of them aren't. And a third of those interpretations are backed by you know heavy-hitting physicists who were central to the development of quantum physics. So the jury has by no means, you know, uh, been given the evidence and uh, arrived at a final uh, decision, final verdict. And there are other things. There are many scientific experiments done in universities that indicate uh, consciousness exists outside the brain and exists in some unmeasurable form that are really good experiments. They're not, most of the time they're, these kind of experiments are uh, dismissed by the mainstream scientists as indicating sloppy science or obvious bias uh, led to these discoveries and and we're just gonna ignore them. There's one in particular that I like to share that just can't be denied. Uh, The experiment was done in various ways by various teams with various professors leading those teams across several universities where two subjects would agree in some way or another to interact with each other. In the very first one, they meditated together. In others, they just agreed to... um, do the experiment together. But in the very first one, they meditated together and then they were separated and they were put into Faraday cages. So Faraday cages are basically uh, copper wire mesh around 
a person or a, you know, a space that interferes with any kind of electromagnetic uh, transfer. So if you had a radio on searching for stations while you're inside a Faraday cage, you're not going to get any signal. It just blocks out any electromagnetic signals. So then once they're in the Faraday cages, completely separate from each other, they can't see each other, they can't hear each other, they have no idea what is happening to each other. There, there was no explanation given them uh, other than they agreed that they would participate in this experiment. And one was taken into his cage and hooked up to a essentially a lie detector, uh, an EKG machine. And the other person was hooked up to the exact same type and kind of uh, EKG. And then subject A was shocked by bright flashes of light. And when that happened, his EKG spiked and then, you know, lesser spikes and then settled down, right? And he was subjected to this randomly for I think like 30 minutes. So he didn't know when the flash was coming, didn't know how bright it was gonna be, but every time it happened, his EKG registered. Now, all of this completely expected, right? Been done in experimental ways for decades and decades. But never done before was to measure the other guy. And I think in the, in the original experiment, it was two. The other guy just sat there, didn't know what was going on, just sat there. But every time subject A, subject one, had a bright flash in his eyes and his EKG jumped, so did subject two's. Now he huh. didn't have a light flashing in his eyes. He didn't have any uh, external reaction that was measurable, but his brain waves responded at the same time and in a similar fashion the way this other guy did. Now, they did control groups where they hadn't meditated together, they hadn't agreed to be in any way connected, and there was no correlation. The subjects that agreed to do the, the experiment and, and stay connected, however loosely they wanted to interpret that, right? They weren't told what exactly they were looking for or anything. They just agreed, okay, I'll stay connected. Then they had this. So how is that explainable with matter and energy alone? It suggests that there is something more subtle, that there is uh, some way in which our brains receive information from outside of our physical brain. Mm -hmm. And there are other experiments like this, but they don't get any of the attention or validation that they deserve by mainstream science. 
because mainstream science just doesn't want to go there. It's easier just to dismiss these as well, there's sort of this, uh, what would you call it? Um, prideful response to it mm -hmm. that, you know, if we were there, if real scientists were there conducting this, we know we'd see the flaw in the scientific method. We'd, we'd, we'd understand why this appeared to have a correlation when no correlation was there. So it's just uh, utter disregard and, uh, and dismissing it because their whole life view would have to be turned on its head for them to come in and say, oh, there's something here. Mm -hmm. But there's enough scientists out there now who've been doing these kind of experiments and uh, I would recommend to your listeners to go to the um, IONS website, the uh, Institute of Noetic Sciences website, and look for Dean Radin's uh, like favorite experiments. And he has a group of, I don't know, hundreds of experiments, all of which he feels rise to the level of uh, well-done, well-conducted experimental science. And yet they all, in one way or another, uh, indicate that there is a mental quotient. There is a consciousness quotient. There is a something that is going beyond matter and energy that is, that is causing the results of these experiments. Mm -hmm. So those all exist. And you really don't have to look far to find them and read about them. But even the main key uh, findings of science suggest there's got to be more than matter and energy to explain the behaviors that we have. You know, there's, where did the universe come from? It just, there's, there's, Nothing. I mean, the universe mm -hmm. is matter and energy. It's all speculation. Where did, where did the matter and energy come from? And <laughs> they'll say, well, it was a quantum fluctuation. Well, a quantum quantum fluctuation in what? Right. Well, and then you know, be, there's got to <laughs> be something in which it could fluctuate. Where did well, that come from? And then they're you know, trying to study it. And it does from so you many can years. kick the can down the road as far as you want. But they still have not answered that basic question. Hmm. Well, I think one thing that you know that I noticed, especially in in terms of your story about the cage, um, or the two guys in the cage, is what exactly is energy? Because I personally see energy as also being spiritual. It's a different type of energy. And in your book, you do talk about how, uh, for example. There's light all around us, but we can only see within a certain spectrum. And I would imagine it's the same as any energy source. We can't detect all energies. And so what I have kind of noticing is this idea that matter is what separates humanity because from here, I can't touch you and vice versa. But if I was on this, you know, talking with a certain energy, whether it be, uh, you know, let's say anger or say I'm upset, you know, every, anyone on here talking to us or around us would feel that it's this feeling, this interconnectedness of energy between us. Uh, we've actually talked about this on the show in the past because we've had guests on uh, who talk about 
<laughs> they call them like energy vampires, for example, uh, mm-hmm. where you're walking past somebody and you just feel this weightiness, you know, somebody's just hurting, you know, you kind of kind of feel that. Uh, and so this idea of energy being like it makes sense to me that the the two people in the cage can actually connect in that way energy wise because they allowed themselves to link via energy. Uh, when you disconnect yourself, it's nearly impossible. Right. Um, also, going back to, to to regarding scientists and their view on, on God, do you think it's you you said pride, and I like to think of it as also self-absorption, because I feel like a lot of scientists want to believe that they are humans, the highest that any living being can possibly be. They don't want to put anybody above them. And therefore they just completely get, you know, deny the existence of God for that reason. But then on top of that, we don't have any scientists, either Christian or otherwise, who are willing to go forward and create uh use the scientific method in a way that'll actually give us true results. Because I feel like whether it's a secular scientist, a Christian scientist, or someone else entirely, they're always going to try to manipulate the evidence in their favor. And I see that time and time again, when science tries to talk about religion and religion tries to talk about science, it's kind of disheartening. Yeah. I mean, they are part of the, dominant worldview today. I mean, if you if you look at science as a religion, then I would say 75% of the people on the planet are in that religion. Mm-hmm. That scientific materialism is, is deeply and viscerally accepted by people all over the world. And that um, one of the reasons I wrote the book is that I was trying to reach people who are maybe on the fence, you know, maybe somewhere where they could be persuaded that it's possible that there is a God and that science, everything that science is saying, and everything that science is uh, discovering rather than saying, uh, are both valid, uh, so that they don't feel like they have to not believe in God. I think that's, you know, a big barrier for, for many people. But it is a very strong um, thought form. It's like a, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a political party that has ninety-five percent of the seats in the <laughs> in the Congress. You know, they can pass any law they want. They they are very powerful. There were some inroads made by the um, intelligent design folks that pointed out some major. Uh, questions in um, evolution, Darwinian evolution. And they were really, they were just beaten up. (laughs) They were like, they were like attacked or even, you know, uh, uh, sullying Darwin's good name kind of energy. Like, or you don't call my mama that. It was really emotional immaturely emotional kind of response because they're just so convinced that they are right. And I think it is human nature that everybody wants to feel like they know what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. And scientists can tell each other that they really know what's going on uh, and, and pat each other on the back and reinforce each other's views. I understand it. 
I like to think I know more than scientists, right? So maybe I'm guilty of the same human tendency. But um, but it is strong and it is self-reinforcing and you don't attack it lightly. Right. Back to your comment, though, that you, you started with, which is a very good and insightful comment that um, energy, when I use that term in this definition of scientific materialism of matter and energy, is really the energy that is measurable by current scientific devices. Mm-hmm. And yet in physics, uh, particularly in the areas of uh, string theory, that are a billion times finer than the finest electromagnetic frequencies. And that those frequencies uh, make up these vibrating rings and strings that are the fundamental substrate of all matter, whether local or non-local. That string theory sees a reality that encompasses what I like to call the cosmos rather than just the universe. Because in string theory, the cosmos can include other universes. There can be multiverses. Um, And so it's a mind-manglingly larger conception of reality than the one most of us are familiar with. But it's predicated on this notion that energy can exist and does exist at super high frequencies, a billion times. I mean, we're talking tiny frequencies. Mm -hmm. So yes, I agree with you that what we could be talking about that could explain some of the anomalous things, could explain ghosts, could explain um, other paranormal phenomena are because they're realities that are vibrating at much higher frequencies than anything exists to measure them. on the earth, but it doesn't mean they can't exist. So, but I would say consciousness is, if it is a frequency, it is the highest frequency. It is perhaps an unmeasurable frequency. And there are some spiritual traditions that suggest consciousness is vibrationless, that it is the the rock upon which all vibration uh, stands, and that all of creation is, you've probably run into this concept in Eastern teachings, that all of creation is dualistic. Mm-hmm. So you've got yin, and you've got yang, and that that all stems from this primal creation of vibration, because vibration is dualistic. Vibration is energies moving in two different directions, if you will, um, and creating this, um, what we think of as energy. Energy is just vibration in one form or another. So I completely agree with you. I think there are a lot of things that explain how we function as human beings that have to do with us having a another layer 
or two or three of our reality that vibrates at higher frequencies. And that's why I believe when we die, we are still perfectly aware. We feel like we have a body. And it may, in many people, when they die, takes them a while to realize that they're dead because what they're experiencing is so similar to what they experience while alive that it takes them a while to realize that, well, this body is a little bit different and it's finer and there's more light here. And of course, this being just floated into my awareness without walking in, you know, the clues start to pop in that mm -hmm. they're not in Kansas anymore. But at the same time, they're very similar. They still have the memories. They still have the uh, same level of intellect and feeling that they had when they were alive. And the only real difference is that they dropped a body, dropped a physical body away that was vibrating at a lower frequency. But that all along, they were animating that body. They were existing within that body at a higher level of frequency. So the people who aren't happy about dying and who want to stay around for one reason or another are ghosts. They're, they're souls still vibrating at these high frequencies, but for one reason or another, stuck here, caught here, wanting to be here. And they, you know, people who are perceptive psychics can see them kind of come into view and out of view. Uh, but they're very real. And that though the vast majority of people who die just go on to these other realms, heavens, astral regions, spirit worlds, whatever, and however you want to describe them, the Indians call them the happy hunting grounds, whatever, whatever view you want to take, uh, almost every ancient tradition, every religious tradition suggests that there are realms beyond the physical and that they are finer and they're better. And uh, a lot of the ills of physical reality don't exist there. There isn't, bodies don't get sick. Uh, you don't get hungry. You don't need to eat food like we do to survive. You don't need to breathe oxygen. You know, you're, you have a freedom to move that is nothing like what we have on the earth. So I very much believe that, um, as I put in, very whether I put it in the physics of God, but I put it in other books, that we always have one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. That we are a, a matrix of bodies. And the outermost matrix that we can see with our senses is a physical matrix. And then we have other bodies that are uh, undetectable energy as far as what we can detect today with modern scientific instruments that are always there. And in fact, without them, the physical body couldn't exist. It's not as if the physical body is the real one, you know, the, the important one, and the others are these kind of ephemeral things that happen to be there. The other bodies are really what give substance and power to the physical body. And then when physical body is no longer functioning, we still have those finer matrices of energy. Um, 
in which we exist. All right, Joseph. Well, it's about that time where we usually let our guests go. So I want to give you the chance to tell everybody where they can find you, find the book. The mic's all yours. Uh, well, the easiest way to find out more about uh, me uh, and the other books I've written and some of the articles that I've written, uh, other interviews I've been on, is to go to my website, which is at josephselby.com. Selby, my last name is spelled somewhat unusually. It's S-E-L-B-I-E rather than the more typical S-E-L-B-Y. So Joseph Selby, spelled S-E-L-B-I-E dot com. Uh, you can find all those things. My books are available pretty much everywhere you would expect with um, the various online e-tailers and some bookstores. All right, Joseph Selby, thank you for being on Paratruth Radio. My pleasure. Thanks uh, for having me. All right, folks, that was Joseph Selby, author of The Physics of God. Make sure you check out the book. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial, and uh, we will be right back with Paratruth Radio. Did you know that as a small business owner, placing a video on a landing page can increase conversion rate by 80%? and increase online sales by up to 60%? Most production companies will charge more than $2,000 for a 30-second video. And let's face it, as a small business owner, that's a lot of money. My name is Eric Skerbeck, and you know me as one of the voices behind Paratruth Radio. However, I'm also the owner of Finicky Fox Productions, a video production company that delivers high-quality video content on a budget. I offer both full production and specialized services at a third of the cost of most without hindering the quality that will set you apart from your competitors. Whether you need help from initial idea to final render or individual services like writing, filming, editing, or sound design, Finicky Fox Productions has you covered. So check us out at finickyfoxproductions.com and let's tell your story. Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we did just get off the line with Joseph Selby, the author of The Physics of God, Unifying Physics, Consciousness, M-Theory, Heaven, Neuroscience, and Transcendence. There's a lot of material in this book. And I mean, and we didn't even cover even a quarter, I think, of of this book with, with our conversation with Joseph. But just based on a lot of what he was uh, sharing with us, I mean, I don't know about anyone else listening, but you know, I've already went through this book and there are just little details, minuscule details that I kind of want to go back and touch up on. Um, because, you know, I mean, you know how it is with me when it comes to the science aspect of stuff, you know, things that are written scientifically, big words, for example, <laughs> or diagrams, I get lost. Uh, but this was actually one of the most fascinating uh, books that I've actually gone through because I think you and I have for so long discussed how science and religion should be remarried, you know, and kind of work together to find the truth. And that's more or less what this book is kind of hinting at. You know, uh, there's there's significant differences between them and the fact that science has become 
a religion in and of itself uh, is very interesting. And it reminds me just again, because I don't think we think about it in modern, like it's happening to us. And it makes me think like back in, uh, let's say, early Christianity, when Christ was on the earth, like people back then might not have been thinking like, oh, this is a new religion. It's starting, you know, mm. just like today, science doesn't feel that way, but it is. And we see it time and time again, where a new quote unquote world religion takes the reins, becomes big, gets squashed by another new religion, gets big, gets squashed. And right now, I'm not saying that that's happening, but I do see a significant impact with science and Christianity specifically, because I feel like those are the two quote unquote religions that are probably banging heads the most these days. Right. Well, through his explanation too, I mean, he made a really good point about science is a religion in and of itself, although they will not say it is a religion. And if you think of Scientology as the religion of science, it's not. It's actually completely different than what you think when you hear the term Scientology. You would think that they're saying that science is a religion and it explains everything, but no, it's completely different. And maybe we'll have a former Scientologist on one day to kind of explain it. And I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that have been Googling Scientology and all that. And you are listeners. I'm sure have probably seen what Scientology really is, but something that he explained in this interview and what he explains in the book in my opinion, science has proved that there is a God. Whatever you define it at is, is completely different than what science defines it as. But for them to say that there is no God, but not be able to explain what uh, Joseph was explaining, uh, that they haven't been able to prove where the universe came from. They haven't been able to prove where consciousness has come from. That tells you right there that there is something bigger than science that is not necessarily controlling things, but overseeing things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think overseeing is a good word to use there. Um, it, it makes me think of the whole chicken and the egg thing because it's like, well, what came first, the energy or the matter? Right. You know? uh, and you know, the one thing about energy, because for, for a long time, science was saying that more or less energy is depleting, right? The more matter there is, the less energy uh, seems to to show itself. And we see that in like dying stars, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then only in relatively recent times, we start seeing new suns being born, new energy sources being created. Uh, Even when you think of like a black hole, that in and of itself is just an energy source that grows larger and larger and larger and creates new energy sources on the, I guess, the backside (laughs) of it, you know, and it spits out the, um, what they call the white holes i guess uh that's like a loose term used for the opposite side of a black hole where all that star energy or material is spit out um so we constantly see energy being re recycled and rebuilt which then leads to more matter and new 
galaxies, new planets, new stars. Uh, and it's, 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 it's clockwork, man. It, it's really interesting. Like there's, to me, I see some intelligent design in all of it. Like it doesn't make sense that this is, and that's the big thing with science, a uh, modern science is that everything happened by random chance. The reason you and I are doing this podcast is by complete random chance from something that happened millions of years ago that just happened to line up perfectly to put us in this position. And just, that doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't register. Right. Well, even when I was a kid and I had kind of lost my faith, I had searched and searched and searched, but still could not bring to to terms that what science is saying happened is what happened yeah there's this saying and i'm sure you've heard it and i'm sure every all of our listeners have probably heard it at one point or or another uh but the saying is there's a god-shaped hole in all of us Mm -hmm. right and it's just mainly this idea that no matter how much we keep searching and searching and searching, we never actually find what we're looking for until the idea being we accept God, uh, and at which point everything else falls into line. Uh, now, in my own experiences, I found that to be true. And of course, obviously, with anybody's walk, it gets a little little rocky, mm-hmm. a little shaky. Uh, but, you know, l- still, you know, looking back to 2009 when I was born again, you know, it's there are moments in my life back then that I that I feel like I'm missing out on at times. Like, I was like, where where is that? Like, I miss that feeling, the, you know, whatever it was. Uh, and I know it's here. I know it's there. But <clears throat> there's like moments throughout uh, life where you feel closer to that for me to god or closer to whatever it is that fills you but it's always fleeting to some extent and again i think that just has to do with more human conscience and how we tend to humanize everything everything's materialistic Mm -hmm. nowadays right you can never have too much of a good thing especially if all you have to do is put some green paper down and get the thing you want (laughs) you put it in your house uh but yeah, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I think this is, it's really interesting to see how far science and religion has come. And just the simple notion that science is actually a very, very young concept. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I didn't ask this question because he did kind of explain it a lot when he was talking about science and the experiments that they've been doing. But even CERN with the Large Hadron Collider and discovering the quote-unquote God particle. Now, Mm. that's not saying that that is God. The God particle is what they're saying all existence has kind of stemmed from. Um, I, I feel that they are explaining a lot of the the truths behind science uh denying that there is a higher power but at the same time proving it as well um and, and let's face it religion is just an explanation of what we can't see or hear or explain uh 
science is kind of that same way, but science is saying that they are proving this. And I feel that they are far from proving many things that we can't explain. Right. Totally agreed. But I do see also where, again, science does kind of, like you said, science kind of proves God's existence. And, and and I think this is one of the most simple things. And it's, I think it's called the, uh, the Fibonacci sequence. Fibonacci. Uh, yep. Yep. Fibonacci. So we've, and we've talked about this way back when we, uh, did the interview, I forget his name, but he did the book, uh, evolution 2.0. This was brought up. Uh, and oh, I honestly don't even remember bringing up the Fibonacci uh, sequence. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's this idea. It's, it's a mathematical sequence that's constantly mm. repeated throughout the known universe from this tiniest of, uh, um, tiniest of atoms or whatever mm-hmm. on earth to these galaxies where it's just this kind of, uh, it'll swirl effect, if you will, you know, that just kind of spins on itself. And we see it in plants. We see it in various animals. We see it in seashells and rocks and sand and, uh, you know, we see it in the waves, the way the way waves curl on the ocean or in the lakes. We see it in multiple galaxies, every galaxy, you know, in in our in, in our view. Uh, it's there. That's an equation that shows, in my opinion, something that isn't just random. Like it's to me, that's something that was specifically placed in that sequence for a reason. Because honestly, there's no reason for it. There's there's no reason. Like it doesn't. It's not like plants use this mathematical equation to better itself. It just happens to be. Why? You know? Right. Well, and with you bringing that up, that really shows, too, that science is not not necessarily proving religion, but proving of a higher power because that goes along the same lines of divine geometry, too, mm-hmm. uh, where there are these sequences in anything, any type of geometry that there is to show repetitiveness that would only be given to us by something that is much higher and much more intelligent than we are. Right. So, but um, I think we could probably talk about this till we're blue in the face. Oh, yes. Sure. <laughs> so we leave it up to you, our listeners, what you guys want to believe in and, and think. But definitely check out the physics of God. Uh, check out Joseph Selby's website as well. Anything uh, house cleaning or anything like that that we have to do before we head out for today? Mm, what is today? Oh, it's May. So, no, not really. Uh, you know, summer's at around the corner. So, there's really nothing special, I guess. I was thinking holidays, but there's nothing. Uh, but, you know, nonetheless, it's summer. So, hey, yay. At least in the Northern Hemisphere. For the rest of you, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do have something to, to announce. Uh, we do have a, a new sponsor, Ghost Stop. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, we have, have our affiliate link for them, and we'll include it in the uh description of this episode and i'll start including the the links for all of our sponsors uh nodakian studios evergreen podcasts ghost stop and um 
even my website, my author website, and uh, Finicky Fox as well is a sponsor of mm-hmm. Paratruth Radio. So make sure you're checking out all of those sponsors and give them love. But I think that's pretty much it until next week, where you'll find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. This is- That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.